Uh, so today, we, uh, we've already established that today is Palm Sunday. Uh, for those who are Christ followers, uh, we know that this is an important day for us. And also for those who are Jewish, they understand that this is just as an important day. They have a little bit of a different understanding, though, of Palm Sunday. Uh, in fact, they really don't call it Palm Sunday. They call it Lamb Selection Day. In Jewish culture, all the families would actually gather today. And they would go into the city, and they would go with one intention. It was the intention to find the pure, spotless lamb for the family sacrifice that would take place on what we know as Good Friday. And so the family would travel into town and their objective was to find the lamb. And after that was taken care of, everything else could resume. But the main mission was to find the pure spotless lamb for the sacrifice that would take place corporately on that Good Friday. Tracking with me yet? It's kind of interesting that the pure, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, comes in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey on Lamb Selection Day, and one week later, he would be sacrificed for the entire world. So Palm Sunday is very important to us as well as our Jewish brothers and sisters because Paul says that we have been grafted in with them which is a huge privilege. And today we corporately acknowledge that on this day, Jesus, the Son of God, comes out of the wilderness and he comes out on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And which it also says that in the future, Jesus will place his very feet once again on that mountain when he returns for his church. At this point in time, we know according to scripture that Jesus has made up his heart and his mind. It's no going back. He's 100% committed to this. Yes, further on in the scriptures, we find him in the garden and he's praying. And with one last breath of hope, he cries out to his father again. He says, if there is just any way, any way that this can be done other than me going to the cross, let me know. And as we know, there was no other way. But he was ready. He was willing to be obedient, submissive to his father and he follows through and he commits himself to mankind by the way of death. And he goes to the cross. This is known as Palm Sunday. But there is a Palm Sunday sequel. And a lot of times we talk about everything else in the body of Christ and we make mention of the Palm Sunday sequel here and there. But today I'm really going to unpack the sequel of Palm Sunday because of the timing of this message. The sequel to Palm Sunday is simply this. Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. Jesus came once and he's returning again. It's that simple. There's no hidden truth. There's no gimmick line. He has come once and he is coming again. Now we know this because according to scripture, according to the word of God, if we invest ourselves into the Bible and we begin to read the scripture 
and read what it tells us, we know that Jesus promised that he said that he would go to the cross, he would die, he would be resurrected. So he did that. And then he was resurrected, did that, followed through, kept his word. Then he said he would send his Holy Spirit, the helper to help us to be his witnesses. Say amen quickly because it actually trans- translates in the Greek martyr. <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> but he says that you'll be my witnesses. So he follows through on that. But before he ascends into heaven, we back up just a few pages over and he tells his disciples that he will return again. But this time he's not just coming for his disciples who have passed, but he's going to come for all of us, all of mankind who have given their hearts to him. Not only that, it tells us in scripture that the earth will come to this place where the earth will begin to give off signs that he is nearing his return. And we're beginning to see this more and more with each passing day. We're seeing things take place in in the sky and NASA is declaring things to to the world about things such as the moon changing colors and and that is pretty much unexplainable and only God can do these things. And uh, there's things going out there that's saying that even, you know, on Google, don't, don't take this for value. This is Google I'm talking about, okay? But even on Google, it's saying that the earth's access is about to shift just a hair. And imagine if the access of the earth shifts by a hair, what will begin to take place? We notice that there are earthquakes happening in places that have never happened before. There are storms that are taking place that, that man cannot cause, but only God can allow. That in places have never happened, people who have never received snow, unlike us, <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> People are are receiving snow in areas that they've never seen snow before and there are earthquakes and floods and there are nations rising against nations and trying to usurp authority that, that we have not seen before. And it says that there will be rumors of wars and there are more rumors, but there are also more wars taking place. It even says that the culture will just begin to shift in a different way. There will, there will begin to, we will begin to see sin just begin to escalate more and more and more. And if, if we think what we see right now is bad, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg, church. Plant that in the back of your mind for a few minutes and we'll get there. I want us to return to the first part of Palm Sunday, though. Let's start there and then we'll progress. Join me in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 11. It says the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed him. So this is after he told them, go and find that donkey uh, and, and he will provide it for us. So they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. So here we have people passionately throwing their cloaks down before the king of kings riding in on this donkey and they're cutting down palm branches and they're waving these palm branches as he's coming down this road and they're declaring and singing all these things to him and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then we know that according to the word, 
that the disciples begin to shout. They begin to get excited and they're shouting with praise because of all the miracles that they had seen Jesus do prior to him coming in on his entry into Jerusalem. And then the crowd begins shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, I don't mean to burst your bubble this morning, but I'm going to fair warn you, I'm going to. I think we need to understand what this phrase, this terminology means that when the crowd was really shouting Hosanna on that Palm Sunday. In fact, we know according to scripture, it was actually a slogan of the zealots. The zealots were this group of people who in the name of Jesus were more of an anti-government grouping of individuals. They felt that by doing God's will was to kill off those in, in, in the political realm. They were actually known they would carry knives or daggers up their sleeves. They were trained assassins in the name of God. And they would carry these daggers up their sleeves, and when they would find the right target, that political power, they would let it drop, and then they would kill that political person, all in the name of the Lord, and they would hide it. And so here we have the zealots having this slogan being declared over Jesus as he's riding in. And it's really translated as, please save us, give us freedom, we're sick of these Romans. Because see, they were under Roman law, they were captured, they were prisoners, they were slaves, they weren't free. And then you add into all the drama that not only are they shouting, you know, free us from the Romans, we're sick of them, destroy them, you are our savior. They add in the palm branches. And the palm branches, when the Jews were free, it was on their currency. It stood for their political freedom. It was kind of the equivalent of the American flag. And so they're waving these palm branches at Jesus and they're declaring to him and they're saying, you're the one who will save us. You're the one who will deliver us from these Romans. You are the key to our political freedom, not our spiritual freedom. And so these palm branches weren't a symbol of peace and love and good times. It was actually an expression of their desire for that political freedom at any cost, not spiritual freedom. Now, I want you to capture this with me for a moment. I just want you to close your eyes. Nothing weird is going to happen. Don't worry. When you open them, I'll still be here. <laughs> just close your eyes. Just focus. Focus for a minute. I want you to put yourself there in the city of Jerusalem. I want you to imagine what that day was like. I, I want you to hear the crowds roaring shouting, screaming the name of Jesus. Let it run through your mind. Listen to the, to the clapping, even the wind that the palm branches are making. Imagine with me for a moment, this is the deliverer, the one that we've been waiting for, the one our hearts are aching for to free us from our slavery. This is the name. These are the stories that we have heard around the fires at night in houses where the elders would sit with, with children and tell them that one day there will be this one, this Messiah who will come and deliver us. Get it in your mind. And as he comes closer, you hear the crowd shouting, 
You hear them shouting and saying, who is this? Who is this one that is coming? And they shout out and they say, this is, this is Jesus, the prophet, the one of Nazareth of Galilee. And you, you, know, you can just feel it welling up within you. And he passes by. And all of a sudden, we miss who he really is. Go ahead and open your eyes. We miss the Messiah. Church, Jesus is coming again, and we must know the Messiah. We must know the Messiah. We know that they missed him. Some got it, some didn't, but the majority missed it. Because what's amazing is in the scripture, that same crowd that welcomed him with such great awe and awesomeness were the ones who stood and condemned him to death by the courts, walked past him in the square as they saw him hang on a cross being crucified. We know this because it says in scripture that they reference him as, oh, that's Jesus, the prophet, the good guy, the one who's the good dude that was here and did all those cool miracles by the power of God. That's the prophet. Oh, wait, that's not the son of God. It's not the Lord of Lords. It's not the King of Kings. It's not the one who will free us and deliver us spiritually. They missed it. They had their own ideas of who the Messiah would be, how he would act, what he would look like, how he would return, and it was missed. This morning I preached this message in love, compassion, and confidence. But church, we are in danger of missing the Messiah. We are in danger of having our own ideas of what he will look like when he returns, how he will come, when he will come, and we need to be careful because he is returning and we need to know him. They knew Jesus. They knew that he was a prophet. They knew where he was born. They knew where he lived. They knew that he traveled. They knew that he had disciples, but they didn't know him. They didn't know this intimacy about him. We can know all the right words. We can, we can know the right songs. We can sing them with our eyes closed and we can know all the right scriptures to quote in, in the midst of a situation. We can even formulate in our mind what Jesus is going to look like when he returns or what we want him to do or come as. But if we don't intimately know him, we will miss him the second time around. There has to be an intimate knowing. I love this passage in Luke, Luke 24, verse 32. So simplistic yet so powerful. Jesus, uh, Jesus has been resurrected and he's showing up in different places and he's showing himself, he's revealing himself to other people. And there's this point in this scripture where he comes along and he shows up to these two guys walking on a road. And I, and I love what this, what this does. Jesus hangs with them and they, they don't quite know him yet. They don't realize it's the Christ. And they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, there's this guy, you know, he got crucified and he's supposed to rise from the dead, you know? And they're like, and he's like, mm -hmm. you know, I just want, I would love to bend Jesus at that moment. Like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'd probably play around with them. You know, honestly, I'm, I'd probably joke with them. But that's beside the point. Jesus doesn't do that. But this is what it says in Luke 24, 32. It says, they asked each other, 
Now get this. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? First time I ever read that passage, I actually started to cry. Real men cry. And um, I started to like cry because I was hit by the power of that word. I was hit by the fact that these two men declare that were our hearts not burning? Were they not on fire when we were in the presence with this man? And I thought to myself, oh man, when was the last time that my heart burned? When was the last time was my, my heart on fire when I opened up the very word of God? When was the last time that my heart caught flame and would not relent when I would pray to him? I began to cry because I realized that it wasn't. And I needed to do something about it. Let me give you a little test of questions to ask yourself in this moment. I'm going to read these slowly so you can ask yourself and reflect on them for a moment. Are you a student of God's heart? Not his word, not worship, not prayer, not fasting of his heart. Are you a student of the heart of God? Have you submitted yourself to knowing his heart? Church, do you know Jesus so well that your heart burns within when he's near you? Now, don't give me the cop-out Christianity, Christianese answer, well, Jesus is always in us, and he's always present, and yet, no, no, like, I mean, like, when he is with you, do you burn when he is with you? Does your heart blaze within when you open up the word of God? When you unfold the scriptures, not just your daily devotional, not just that, oh, made chapter for the day, good to go. But like when you really open the scriptures, does your heart burn? Does it really burn? Is, is, does conviction set in? Does the joy of God hit your heart? Is there something that stirs within you when you open the word? Does something happen when you pray? When you talk to God, when you have communication, does something happen? Does something happen in you? Does something happen on the outside of you? When you pray, do things come to pass? Here's some more questions. Has your heart become a heap of smoldering coals? Because when a fire is not attended properly, it burns out. Do you lack the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Do you find yourselves in places where you just don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you're okay? Are you isolating yourself from other Christ followers? Because when you're around them, you feel convicted. <laughs> or when you're around them, you feel obligated or weird, not because they're spiritually weird, but just because if you get around them, they might know. Jesus is returning for a bride that burns for him night and day. A bride that is consumed 
with passionate love for him that cannot be substituted by anything else. Jesus's heart is so ravished by those who intimately know him that it is an attraction that he cannot avoid. Sometimes, now this is not biblical or theological, so just hear me out. This is my thoughts. Sometimes I just imagine what heaven must be like when God looks at our hearts and he sees them burning for him, intimately, passionately hungering for him. I kind of almost feel like, I wonder if Jesus just like runs to the edge of heaven and he's like, daddy, look, look, daddy, look, Holy Spirit, do you see this? Oh, when, when can I go to them? And daddy God looks at him and probably smiles and says, in my timing. Because word says that Jesus doesn't even know when the father will release him to return for us. I can't imagine what it must be like when he looks at our hearts and he sees that intimacy blazing within and we're just yearning for him. You may be sitting there and say, I don't know that, I don't have that, I don't, I don't ever get that. Well, then this is what I'm gonna suggest for you. Reserve your place. I previously have worked in the restaurant business or industry for quite some time before coming, a, before coming a pastor. One of my jobs required me to work at a resort where I was a chef there. And I remember, like, I remember this so clearly. It was actually on Mother's Day. And we were known on Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas for our amazing brunches. These brunches had ice sculptures and every possible food from around the world that you could imagine. And it was very expensive. And you had to make a reservation in order to attend a brunch, especially on a holiday like Mother's Day. It was nothing for us to have anywhere from a thousand plus reservations on that day. And after a certain point of, of that, they would cut it off and say, okay, we're no longer taking reservations. We're no longer taking people who will walk in and just eat and dine with us. But we are actually going to, we're actually going to cut it off and this is what's going to be left. And so those who already made the reservation can come. So I remember on this particular Mother's Day, as a chef, my job was to go out, make sure things are still running, you know, the gears are oiled, you know, making sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to. So I walk out into the gallery and as I'm in the gallery, I'm kind of surveying everything and looking and all of a sudden over, over by the hostess, I see some, someone, I see uh, two people and the hostess and the one individual looks, looks kind of irritated, kind of, you know, you, you can tell body language sometimes when like people talk, you know, they're just, you know, and when they get, they get frustrated and they get angry and they start to move, you know, and so I'm like, well, maybe I should just go check it out. So, you know, you ever do this where you're kind of like, you know, and you're like messing with something, but you don't care. You're really listening to what they're saying. Like, I don't ever do that. But, um, but in this particular case, I did. And so, so I go over and I'm listening and I, and I can hear the gentleman like just really getting irritated, getting kind of huffy. And so finally I walk over and I walk over to the hostess and I say, I'm sorry, is, is there something I can do? Can I help? Is, is there an issue? 
So she proceeds to explain to me that this husband and wife were here for brunch, but they didn't make a reservation. And she was trying to calmly explain to them that you can't get in now. The doors are officially shut. You can't just walk in at your leisure and demand that we serve you or demand that you get your brunch. You needed to make a reservation prior to this date. And I remember I had to directly tell this couple and say that I can't accept you at this time. You have to leave because you didn't make a reservation. A reservation means that you set something apart for a specific use. You have to reserve your place in the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at Matthew 22, verses 1 through 5. This is a fantastic example of making a reservation. Now, this is after Jesus has come in on Palm Sunday, and he's sitting with his disciples, and he's telling this to them. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Find it interesting. Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday. They missed the Messiah coming in. And then a a chapter over in the book of Matthew, we find this sequel, Jesus telling the disciples the parable, and he follows up with this sequel of saying that the Father of heaven is preparing a place for Jesus' church for when he comes back. That's what the parable of the wedding feast is about. It's not a cutesy-wootsy little story. It's about this whole thing that if you have a reservation in heaven, then you have a fantastic feast spiritually that is awaiting you. In order to attend, we need a reservation. Not just any reservation. We need a reservation of our heart. Jesus yearns for the reservation of our hearts. See, there are some of us in this place who would say, wow, the return of Jesus, that's fascinating. Or you might say, wow, the return of Jesus, you know, is that really true? Or you may say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm tracking with you and I realize I don't know the Messiah intimately. How do I come to know him intimately? Well, I'm about to tell you. It regards with the reservation of our hearts setting aside something specific for a specific reason. The whole reason why Jesus rode in on that donkey and the whole reason why he goes to the cross in one week and the whole reason why he rises from the grave again is to offer us what we call salvation. The only time you need saved is when you are in danger of something. 
And in this case, for the human life, the word of God tells us that we are in danger of eternal death. Eternal death means there will be no salvation after death. It doesn't matter if you make a reservation at the Marriott. It doesn't matter if you make a reservation at Peak and Peak Resort. It doesn't matter if you make a reservation at the fanciest hotel in California. What matters to Jesus on the day that we pass from our earth suit here is if we have a reservation with him. So Jesus comes and he says, the only way that we can be saved, the only way that our heart can be reserved for eternity is to confess our sin because we're sinful people. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned, all, no one is exempt, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we have fallen short to saving ourselves. It's impossible no matter what we do. Our good works will never be good enough. We cannot pay, no matter how rich you are and how much money you have, you cannot buy your salvation because Jesus went to the cross and says, because I love you, I'll give it to you for free. And if you are here this morning, may you hear this message. No matter how well you take care of the poor, no matter how well you have raised your family, no matter how great of a spouse you may think you are, all of that comes to an end when you stand before Jesus and when he looks at you and says, I know you, I love you, you made a reservation, come into my kingdom. Or he looks to you and says, depart from me, I never knew you. You never made a reservation. And now you will spend the rest of your life in eternal hell. We don't want that. We don't wake up every day saying, man, I I can't wait to go to hell. I can't wait to die and suffer eternally. Sure, maybe when we're with our buddies, we're like, hey man, I'll see you in hell. Yeah, we'll drink a beer. Yeah, don't worry, dude. I got my lawn chair down there. It's going to be a party, you know? And, and, And we think that we can laugh death away. But when Jesus returns, he will look to see who has a reservation. Just uh, last Wednesday, we have this, we have this young girl in, a, in our youth ministry. And uh, when, when she first came, I'm not going to tell you her name. She's actually here today, and, and I'm just really proud and I'm excited she's here. But when she first came, when, when she first came, you know, she would kind of keep to herself. She would walk in, have her headphones in. She just, no one existed but her. So I'd say hi to her every week. And sometimes I'd get a, a nod of the head, maybe a smirk. You know, sometimes, you know, she, she would just, you know, be there, but not be there. And so over time, another youth leader and I, we just, we just kept at it. We just kept talking and loving this individual, telling them how much we appreciate them, how much we really do love them, no matter what their home life is like, no matter what's going on in their life, they're welcome here because it's a safe place and that we love them. So it comes to a point in this individual's life where they choose a spiritual path, but not one for the kingdom of God, one for the kingdom of darkness. They choose a path to become a self-professing, practicing Satanist. 
And so they come on Wednesday, they worship with us, they listen to me preach or somebody else preach, and they hang out with all of us Jesus lovers, and they're still a Satanist. Until last week, when I preached a message and I talked about how when I was married to sin, that I had one foot in heaven and I had one foot in hell. And I said, a friend came to me and said, Jason, you have one foot in heaven and you have one foot in hell and one foot is about to break off and it's not the one in hell. Heaven's about to break you off because you're messing around. And I had to go home and I really had to think about that and I realized that I was in danger of not encountering eternal life with Jesus but I was going to encounter eternal life with Satan. Now, obviously, that got taken care of, so swing up to to the now. It was after you, she came to me in tears, which I'd never seen before, and she asked me if I, if we could talk because she said, this is very important, this is serious. And as she was crying, I was like, yeah, sure. So I got that other youth leader I'd been investing into her life, and went in my office and we sat down and she just began to pour out her heart. And she says, listen, I pray to Satan. I do spells. I do all these things. And I realize I'm in danger of going to hell and I don't want to go to hell. And I explained the plan of salvation to her, the reservation. And in that moment, and I'm not exaggerating because the other youth leader witnessed this, literally the presence of God showed up in this little tiny office, as she began to renounce Satan in one sentence and accept Jesus in the other sentence and declare him king of her heart. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a reservation. You need one. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, oh, pastor, I I have that reservation. I've had that reservation for 30 some years. That's fantastic. Maybe you say, well, I I just got that reservation last week or I got that reservation a month ago. That is awesome. That's fantastic. Because obviously we need a reservation, right? To spend the rest of eternity with the Lord. But what do we do? What does the body of Christ do with our reservation? We prepare to endure. I didn't mess that up. I really meant what I said. When we think of the word endure, it's easy a lot of times to envision this. We think of that warrior, you know, it's like, yeah, I can take on anything. I can endure what's, what the situation at work is. I can endure what's going on in my school campus. I can endure what's going on in my family because I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to defeat it. When a lot of times when we think of the word endure, we don't think of this. This week I had an interesting awakening as I was preparing this message because I was like, yeah, the, the word endure really hits home. This, this word endure really just, just, you know, takes it all off, strips it right down, strips all the meat off the bone and puts it right in front of you. Until I looked up the definition. Whew. The 
The word endure means to suffer something painful or difficult with patience. It all changed that last part of that sentence. Like, yeah, I can endure something difficult. I can endure something painful. Yes. Oh, with patience. Jesus gave us that example. Something difficult, something painful with patience. We need to learn to endure and be prepared for the return of Jesus. Look with me at Matthew 22, verse 6 and 7. Still at the wedding feast, the king sends them out and it says this, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This picture is not just a story. It is a description of what Father God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit will do as they return. It says that he will send us out to invite people to make a reservation, send us out to invite them to the great wedding feast, and we will be mistreated. Some of us will die. Some of us will taste death. But it says that the king, Jesus, is so enraged that he will come and he will annihilate all that oppose him. Think about that for a minute. Just think for a minute. Whoa, dude, that's like so intense. Like, can, can we like tone it down a little bit? No, because Jesus doesn't tone it down. We have become comfortable with the cute built Jesus riding on a cloud, descending down, maybe like, you know, like a little podium that travels. When I read about the Jesus that is returning, he comes as a lion, not a lamb. We have to prepare to endure. The scripture tells us that there's coming a time in the future that'll be the most horrible time in terms of tribulation. But at the same time, the church, that's us guys, that's us. The church will be breaking forth in the power of God with great harvest of souls and an accompaniment of signs and wonders that Jesus talked about and said, you will do greater things than what I ever did. That's what's going to be going on. But here's the catch. We can't do that when we're hanging out up there. I'm not going to argue your theology today, just telling you what's scriptural. But what if, just what if, what if Jesus, because I know what you're thinking right now, you're probably like, well, don't worry, that's going to be the other church that gets saved while the issues are going on, and we're going to be up there praying for them and rooting them on. What if, though, that's not the case? What if that church is us 
And Jesus isn't looking for a second church to get saved, but that is the church who is the witnesses, the martyrs that is proclaiming the gospel, the one that the king is sending out from the wedding feast into the streets and saying, gather who you can, that is seized, tormented, murdered, all for the sake of the gospel. What if? One thing about Moses was that Moses prepared his entire life to face Pharaoh, not run from him. It's hard for me to grasp why we are doing all of this training here on earth to be used in heaven. Because once you get to heaven, everything gets a little bit different. We need to get connected with the heavenly reality of what is about to happen. Now hear me on this, because I'm speaking to Christians right now. It's been too easy to find our primary identities and rewards in our ministries. Ministries are great and needed, but if we are finding our primary identity and reward in those and not the Lord, we are in trouble. If we want to disciple people into the kingdom of God, we must return to our first love. Ministries are good, but they must become second priority compared to the Lord. He is our primary identity and reward. We may be prepared to spend eternity with Jesus, but are we prepared to suffer the painful and the difficult with the patience of the Holy Spirit. And trust that our God will be a God of justice, like the king of the banquet who will show up and defend us. Sin is escalating and it's only going to increase. The word tells us that there are four particular areas that will increase. It says that occultism will increase. Murder will increase, theft will increase, and immorality. We need to prepare to endure. Because when theft, immorality, occultism, and murder reach these levels, the atmosphere of this earth will change, as well as the spiritual atmosphere. That's quite a sequel to Palm Sunday. We have to shift our mindset now. We have to begin to ask God to tenderize our hearts to endure this reality. Focusing our efforts and pouring our strength and our energy into the endurance to proclaim the message of God under any circumstance and to equip others on how to return to Jesus before he returns. If you want to strengthen your ministry, if you want to strengthen your marriage, your relationships, your, your business, those focuses, then start by strengthening your heart with the reality of the return of God. I'll share this with you. This is not gospel. I have a lot of end time dreams. I've been having them for years since I was a little kid. What's interesting is that they always stop at one point and the next dream picks up where it left off. And it's been an unfolding thing in my dreams. And what's interesting is the body of Christ in my dreams is still here when we least expect it. 
It's just a dream. It's not gospel. But it's interesting that the gospel says the same thing, or the word of God. Finally, the reason for this urgency that I'm bringing this to you is because he is returning. He's returning. Time is speeding up, and it can't be stopped. It can't be regained. Yesterday's gone. Today's present, and tomorrow we can't control or stop or put on pause. It's happening. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been planning the return of Jesus before the beginning of time. We can even comprehend that. But why? What's the motivation? Because of an unbridled love for mankind. You may say, but yeah, pastor, now you got me thinking because if, if God leaves us here, no, first of all, God isn't leaving us here. God plans things, first of all. It's not like he forgot. You know, like the three of them up there aren't like having such a good time. Like, oh, wait, we forgot about the Christians. Forgot about the Jesus followers. Ooh, boy, this is going to be bad. Okay, so number one, God didn't forget us. This is part of the plan, but also we have to understand that yes, he loves us so much that he's willing to take out anything that opposes him. And there's a lot that is rising that is opposing him. See, when this all started, there was a rival between God and Satan. Satan thought he could become God, and he can't. And so God has to annihilate that. Because only one God can exist, and that's God. And we enter into the mix, and now God says, only two can exist. God and humanity that loves me. Which is mankind, because I have an unbridled love for them that cannot be contained. That is his motivation for returning. Even in the midst of our mess, he's still motivated to return to get us. Finish with me here in Matthew 20, 22, verses 8 through 14. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in, to see the guests. He noticed a man there was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie, his hand, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That's not metaphorical. Doesn't mean one thing and say another. It's the reality of heaven. What's scary is it says in the days of the return of Christ that even the elect will fall away. There will even be people who proclaim to be Christ followers that Jesus will look at and say, you don't have a reservation.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so consumed with love for us that they send out this invitation to anyone that can be found. That means your boss that you work for, that you feel rules you with an iron fist, there's an invitation waiting for him. That spouse that you live with, that you hate, there's an invitation for them to enter into eternity. The bully at school that bothers you, there's an invitation. Invitations are awaiting all around us and we are the servants of this banquet that are called to go out. Paul tells us in the New Testament that the church will be made ready for the sequel of Palm Sunday. We'll be so filled with glory, so set apart and so cleansed that we will be adorned and beautiful for the Lord. That means our mind, our emotions and our actions will be radically cleansed while here on earth before we meet Jesus. Understand this church, we're not gonna get to heaven and all of a sudden it's like, bing, everything's perfect and we're all cleansed. Jesus, it says that he is coming back for a pure spotless bride. I'll leave you with this. This is awesome. And it's terrifying. Because the worldwide church, we are far from walking in purity in this hour. We have to shift our hearts and our minds to feed on his word, to pray, ask the Lord to tenderize our hearts, to endure to hear him with clarity and to prepare for his return. It's not just for us, but it's for everyone. We have to keep watch for the sequel of Palm Sunday like never before because it's coming. Stand with me. Father, I pray this morning that we will grasp the reality of the return of Christ. Lord, I pray that we will begin to prioritize our lives according to Jesus. Lord, may we not be found being lazy. May we not be found foolish like it says in your word. May we be found alert. May the priorities of our day be ordered by you. May our hearts know the conviction of the Holy Spirit so deep that we will keep our eyes focused for your return. When we grasp this reality, may our hearts understand that everything else comes second. And you come first. For those here, God, who say, I do not know Jesus, I pray that they will fight with desperation to know you. And for those of us, God, who know you, may we truly be prepared for your return. And may we truly begin to prepare others for your return.
because you are coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Enjoy your day.